Hi, this is Kaylee from Milford, Massachusetts. I've just finished unpacking my last box since moving two weeks ago. And we've moved four times in 10 years with the military. Hopefully this will be our last move for a long time. This podcast was recorded at 1.15 p.m. on Monday, July 3rd, 2023. Things may have changed by the time you hear this, but I'll still be organizing the house for months to come. Okay, here's the show. Okay, I feel that. I hate moving, and I've moved so many times. I was going to say, no one likes moving. It is the worst, so Godspeed to that woman. Oof. I love the use of that sound, though, when they're taping the box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was impressive. She should be a producer. Hey there, it's the NPR Politics Podcast. I'm Sarah McCammon. I cover politics. I'm Deepa Shivaram. I cover the White House. And I'm Domenico Montanaro, senior political editor and correspondent. Vice President Kamala Harris is out in the country. She's been talking to voters to mark the one-year anniversary of the Dobbs decision when the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade and allowed the states to restrict abortion. Harris spoke with Morning Edition's Michelle Martin on Friday in New Orleans about how she sees her role in the White House. I think about my role as Vice President of the United States and what that means, both in terms of the bully pulpit that I have um, and, and the responsibility that comes with that to hopefully inform folks of, of things I might be aware of, but also to elevate public discourse and and hopefully cut through the 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 misinformation. So let's talk about how the White House might proceed after a slew of major Republican wins at the Supreme Court. Domenico, Dobbs was a big motivator, of course, for Democrats in the midterms. And I imagine the administration hopes that these recent decisions will keep that political energy going for them. Yeah, I mean, you know, the 2024 presidential election is going to be the first presidential election that's fought after the Dobbs decision. And we saw that that was a huge motivating factor in the 2022 midterm elections. And, you know, the White House really hopes that that carries over into the presidential election. And when you look at how how much has been piled on even since then in the year since Dobbs, when you look at LGBTQ plus rights at the court, um, the affirmative action ruling that just went down, student loans being essentially uh, nullified, the Biden program being nullified. Those are some key Democratic pillar groups that the White House is hoping uh, turns out and says that they blame Republicans and the conservative majority at the court and realizes what the, you know, the importance of picking a president who can appoint justices to that court. Yeah, I guess the question, the big question I've had is, obviously, we've seen um, indications that voters are, especially female voters, that Democratic voters are energized by the Dobbs decision. The question I've had is how long that will continue, how long the legs will be. But now there are all these new issues right in the mix. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's, you know, when you think about all of the issues that uh, are coming together, I mean, obviously, the Dobbs ruling affects a lot of swing voters, women, uh, suburban women in particular, college-educated women we've seen in polling. Some of these them are swing groups, independent women who are very much against what the court did with Dobbs. And when you think about affirmative action, you know, really affecting black voters potentially, especially since, you know, when you talk to black voters and activists in the community, this isn't just about one decision. There are a whole slew of policies across the country, including the Republican candidates using woke, for example, something that started in black activism, where you have a lot of black Americans feeling like they're really under siege here in this political moment. Now, Deepa, there's some thought that the White House can act 
unilaterally in some way to take some limited steps to mitigate the impact of these recent court decisions. Since the podcast on Friday, the administration has announced that it will try to address student loan debt in a different way in response to the court's decision to invalidate the first attempt by the Biden administration at loan forgiveness. What will that look like? Yeah, so we heard from the president himself on Friday, like you mentioned, that the White House is essentially trying to go a different path with this, and that's through what's called the Higher Education Act. And in his remarks, the president said that this route is legally sound, but he warned that it's probably going to take longer. And in the meantime, of course, borrowers are going to have to start paying back those loans again come this fall. So the administration is also trying to establish what is like an on-ramp payment program. Um, So borrowers won't have the threat to default on their loans or have harm to their credit score. So basically the administration, while they sort through this, is trying to provide a bit of a cushion for people who have to start making those payments again. One of the things, though, one of the big challenges here that the vice president emphasized to Michelle is that with this issue and others, there's not a lot the administration can do on its own. There is work that we can do. But ultimately, for a lot of these issues, look, we have three branches of government. The court took rights from the people of America. Congress can put those rights back in place. We cannot through executive action. Congress can The key part of what Harris says there is that the court is taking away rights. And the way that you hear the White House, the way that you hear Biden and particularly Harris talk about things like abortion, talk about things like gay rights, is that there are rights and the key word here is freedoms that are being taken away. Um, And that's something that, you know, when Harris went down to Florida, uh, for example, right in Ron DeSantis's backyard, you know, he talks about how Florida is the home for, you know, freedom for Americans and they're fighting for freedom. Um, And what the White House is trying to argue and In particular, what Harris is trying to argue is that these are rights that are being taken away. So you'll hear that thread uh, throughout all of these issues that they're trying to hit throughout the campaign trail as well. You know, Harris, when she started as vice president, uh, really had this sort of wide portfolio of things that she had to work on um, and really hadn't found her lane. Uh, this has really given her an opportunity to be the the person who really speaks from the White House, who's identifiable with this issue and has given her something to, for lack of a better term, run on. Right. And this also goes back to part of Harris's history, too, as a politician back in 2004 when she was a DA in San Francisco. She came up into attorney general of California. These are issues that she really focused on then. So she has more of a comfort here and more of a history here of talking about gay rights, talking about um, freedoms for women, rights for women. These are all things that she has a long history in talking about. And you kind of see that come through, whereas like issues like immigration that she was tasked with, some of these more uh, other topics that the White House said, okay, this is what your project is going to be. She struggled a lot. She didn't really have a footing there. Uh, But these conversations that she's having now, being the face uh, of this topic for the administration, you can see her be a lot more confident as she talks about it. And when she says here that the courts took these rights away, Congress can give them back. I mean, the take-home message here is is what? It's vote, right? It's it's get out the vote (laughs) next year. Right. It's show up look at the things that we're fighting for, look at what we've already delivered for you. That is the message that they they really want to push through is like, you voted for us, you showed up in 2020, you showed up in 2022, and look what we have already done. Uh, so in addition to talking about how all of these freedoms are being rolled back in their mind, they're also trying to obviously tout all of their successes uh, and try to advertise that to the American people. Okay, time for a quick break. More in just a second. And we are back. Vice President Harris and President Biden are running once again as a team. 
There was speculation in 2020 that Biden might be trying to lay the groundwork to serve one term and then tee up Harris to replace him. That, of course, has not happened. But the idea that Harris has to be ready to step in at any moment and become president, it feels even more real, right? I mean, if Biden is reelected next year, he will be days away from turning 82. Michelle Martin asked Harris about this and about whether she's had a big enough role in the administration to demonstrate her readiness. Here's what she said. I am running for re-election with him as vice president, and that is my focus. I'm traveling around the country to make sure that people know not only what they have received because they stood in line for hours during the height of a pandemic in 2020 demanding these things, but also what is yet to come. Deepa, has the White House shifted the way it's positioning Harris or the types of roles she's being given? No, you know, they would argue that she's uh, been doing the work that she's essentially been doing since the midterms, obviously taking on that leadership position as as the face of the abortion discussion. Obviously, we know, though, that age is a big concern among voters. You've heard the president himself in recent weeks and months almost poke fun at himself a lot more often, joking that, you know, he he and Jimmy Carter go way back, that he and James Madison, one of the founding fathers, are best friends. Like, he's made a lot of jokes uh, poking fun at his age because he knows that that's been a pretty um, top-of-mind issue for a lot of voters. And obviously, you know, it it keeps coming up. Um, But I would say that people in the White House, when it comes to Harris, say the role of the vice president has always been, always been, uh, to be prepared to be president at any given moment. And what they're really harping on is that she is going to be doing the work, like she said in that bite you just heard, that she is running as vice president. Um, And you hear, obviously, Republicans, people like Ted Cruz, people like Nikki Haley, who are running for president, say that a vote for Biden is essentially a vote for a Harris administration. Uh, And folks I've talked to, Democratic operatives, will say, you know, that's the same exact argument people made in 2020 when Biden picked Harris as his running mate. That's the exact same kind of conversation we were having uh, almost four years ago or three and a half years ago around. And, and you know, that didn't really work is their point. It's an interesting dance that Democrats are going to have to try to do because everybody knows that Biden is the oldest person to ever hold office. Um, you know, obviously, for all intents and purposes, he's healthy for an 80 year old. Right. But, you know, 80 year olds, uh, you know, that's there's a lot of health issues that come along with that. And that's going to mean an increased focus on Harris's job as vice president, her readiness to be president, uh, a lot of the more intangible factors like her favorability ratings, which have suffered and haven't been as good as Biden's or some other Democrats as well. Um, And there have been lots of stories written about that and whether or not Harris is the person who best gives Democrats the chance to win. You know, you could argue, and I've talked to a lot of Democratic strategists about this, that if Harris were polling better, that Biden might step aside. But he's not because his team feels that he gives the Democratic Party the best chance to win. And that is a lot of the subtext here that's going on and why you continue to see the White House trying to elevate Harris in certain ways, but also keeping her as the as Biden as the one and her as the one A. But this is a different situation, right? I mean, he, he as you said, Domenico, he is the oldest president in history. Do you think that that answer is going to work for most voters? You know, I think most voters don't care. You know, I don't think that they sit there and speculate and say, you know, why is the White House messaging it this way or not talking about it that way? I think that they look at it the way it is. You know, what policies are is this administration putting forward? Do they like the policies that this administration is putting forward versus whatever the alternative is from Republicans? 
um, who've really had a hard time of it uh, appealing to the middle because they haven't really expanded their base. They're running to the right in their primary. And it gives Democrats a lot of time to sort out some of these questions of how Biden and Harris are going to run together as a team because Republicans are going to be beating each other up for months and months and months running to the right in a primary. Now, Deepa, I did want to ask, we talked about the White House and how the White House is positioning Harris. But what about Harris herself? I mean, you've covered her for a few years. What, if anything, have you noticed about how she is tackling this challenge, how she is sort of um, framing her role? Yeah, there's definitely like she does a lot better when she's out and about, when she's traveling, when she's in front of crowds, when she's interacting with people, that enthusiasm comes out, that authenticity comes out from her. She does get really fired up. And that's what's been really interesting watching her take on uh, the abortion topic is because she's mad. She's angry. And you see her going out again and again and again to talk about this and the White House continuing to put her out because that rage for her is very, it's rooted very deep. She is a woman. She's the first woman vice president. You know, even if Biden was talking about this, that kind of genuine reaction that she has on this topic um, really fires people up in the rooms that she's in. And you really see a change in how she speaks and how she interacts. There was an event she did a couple weeks ago where she was talking about abortion, where she was standing behind a podium and she kind of pulled a Biden where she took the mic out uh, of the the stand and started walking around and interacting with the crowd. Um, She's doing a lot, obviously, with, with voters of color. That's something I think you'll continue to see, especially, of course, as we know, Democrats can't win an election without black voters. Um, That's something, a community, of course, that she's very connected to, um, that she's very involved in when it comes to campaigning. So you're going to see a lot of that, almost more energy come out from her. Um, And that's something that we're already starting to see as she travels more around the country. I would say also, I think one fact that you guys might remember, one moment you might remember from the campaign trail in 2020, this is the first trip she went on uh, once Biden had tapped her as his VP nominee. She came out um, onto the tarmac wearing Converse shoes. And like everybody blew up. They're like, oh, the vice president's so trendy. Like she's so, you know, young and hip and cool. And I think there's like going to be some more of that kind of energy. Like there was a video they just put out where she went to Stonewall, obviously celebrating Pride Month. She was hanging out with Andy Cohen. So I think you're going to see a little bit more from the White House um, trying to, you know, channel that, that like, yes, you know, she is the vice president, but also she can relate to young people and she is really checked in and, and knows these things. So that might be something to keep an eye out for. <laughs> well, I think it says something about our politics that young and hip is in your 50s. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, mean, that's, not, I, was, true. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> not for, you know, not to, not to speak as somebody who might be somewhat right. approaching I feel that. like oh, Gen Z goodness. is going but, to shame all of us throughout this entire election. So I'm prepared for that. <laughs> well, we are going to leave it right there for today. I'm Sarah McCammon. I cover politics. I'm Deepa Shivaram. I cover the White House. And I'm Domenico Montanaro, senior political editor and correspondent. Thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast.